So good. All right. Well, today we're beginning a new series called Exodus. I hope you have your sermon notes because there's a lot of notes and uh, there's a front side and a back side to these. So I know there's no way you're going to be able to remember everything that I said. Do you have notes back there? Are you? Yep. Okay. Somebody has notes. If you need notes, raise your hand and somebody will bring some to you. Just keep your hand up until somebody brings one um, just in case you need some fill in the blanks. All right? So two things I want you to keep in mind. We'll put these on the screen as we journey into this series on freedom because that's the whole point of this, this series. We said the word for the year. We felt like the Lord put it in my heart was freedom. And so as we journey towards freedom, two things I want you to keep in mind. Freedom is a journey. It's not an instant destination. Just keep that in mind. Uh, It's not going to happen instantaneously. Anytime in life when you're seeking freedom from something, typically it's not an instant instant moment. I mean, you see that in scripture, I know, where people are set free and in the moment, and then you have healings and demonic things that come out immediately and stuff like that. So yes, God can do things in the immediate. Or more often, I have found in my life that it's more often like a journey. Freedom is more often like a journey than it is an instant destination. And the second thing I want you to keep in mind is that freedom rarely comes without a fight. Your freedom rarely comes without a fight. Ask anybody who's ever been in war, right? And freedom rarely comes without a fight. And the same is true in the spiritual realm, that there is an enemy who does not want you free. And so your freedom is going to require a fight. And so I encourage you to remember those two things as we jump into this series. And the reason I want to start here is because that enemy is going to be so important. We're going to see the enemy at play in the story of Exodus Um, his whole aim ultimately is to keep you and I in bondage. On January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation. And the African slaves, uh, of course, in slavery, uh, and so they were to be free in all Confederate states. However, some of the Confederate states did not report the news that they were actually free, And it wasn't until two years later, on June 19th, 1865, that the slaves in Texas were told they were free. And so like some of the Confederate states, Satan and his demonic forces want us to live like we are slaves, even though our freedom has been granted. And so the purpose of this series is this, simply that you would be free to be the you. You can write that in, to be the you that you were made to be. God wants you free to be the you that you were actually made to be. And I pray that you would be free uh, this year and this season. And today would begin, if it's not already begun, a journey towards you becoming the person that God has made you ultimately to be. That's what this series is about. So let's dive into the study of Exodus. We're going to go through this book together. I encourage you to read through the book of Exodus with us uh, throughout this series And let's just see what happens to the Hebrews, what happens to these Israelites and their journey towards freedom. And then ultimately, how can looking at them kind of help us become free as well? Amen? All right, so Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. We're going to start with verse 6, okay? And it says this, Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all the generation died, it says. And now it says, But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, that's important, And they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. All right, pause. And I want to try to really help teach on this. Uh, So we're going to have a lot of notes and a lot of slides, so track with me on this. I want you to dive into this. I don't want you to miss this. It's so easy to read through the book of Exodus and then miss so much 
depth and teaching of what's happening. All right, so to really understand the Exodus story, I want you to write this to the side somewhere, write Genesis 47. If you read through the book of Genesis, hence the first book of the Bible, it really does help understanding Exodus, okay? So Genesis 47, though, is a really important chapter. We'll put a piece of it up in just a minute, all right? So Genesis 47, we'll do verses five through six. But before you read Exodus, read Genesis 47, and then you're gonna probably want to read a little bit before that. All right, so Genesis 47, verse five, says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. All right, so we got on the map. We'll put a map up here for you just so you get some context of Goshen. Goshen is up here to the northern part of Egypt, and without drawing arrows and all of that just yet, if you were to travel down south along this gulf, eventually down here you get down to the Red Sea, uh, which of course we'll know that they're going to eventually cross and then cross back over to Mount Sinai and, and into the wilderness. But I just wanted to get you an idea. But a couple things I want to unpack. So that's one, just to give you some geographical context as to where we are. I want you to circle the name Pharaoh. Pharaoh's uh, mentioned a lot, oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, is that a, a song, I think? It's a song, right? Yeah, okay. And, um, and so if you, if you know that song, you just dated yourself. And so, all right, no. All right, so, because uh, the younger people have probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And, all right, so Pharaoh. All right, so something about Pharaoh. Actually, we'll put a picture of a Pharaoh. You'll, we have a picture. How many of you guys have seen something like this before? You've probably seen it or maybe in school or at some point, or right? And people think of Ramsey the Great or think of all these different people. Um, all right, so just leave that picture. I want you to know this, though, just something to think about. Pharaoh is not a person. Pharaoh is a position. Pharaoh is a position. It's not a person. So in Scripture, when you see the name Pharaoh, it's not one. It's referencing whoever was the leadership at that particular time. Now, for whatever reason... God doesn't let us know which particular Pharaoh it is. There's debate on that as to what Pharaoh it was at this particular time. Chances are you might have an opinion on that. Uh, I might have an opinion, but that's irrelevant. What matters in the context is there's a leader in Egypt, and that's where you get Pharaoh. All right? Uh, something else that's important to understand about Pharaoh. Uh, the, there is uh, great power is believed in Egypt to be in Pharaoh. We'll show another photo of a ram and you might have seen something like this before. So this picture of a ram, if you were to go to Egypt, you see pictures of ram, and then you'll see Pharaoh underneath the chin. You say, what's that about? Okay, that's not just a ram with a guy. Here's what that is. The ram was symbolic for a god called Amun-Ra. Amun-Ra was believed to be the sun god, or really, ultimately, the god of rain, the god of the universe what they believed was to be the God, the creator God, the one that made it all things, the one that created the universe. And so, if you go back for just a minute to the slide, you see Pharaoh underneath Amun-Ra. Well, Pharaoh obviously has a direct correlation to Amun-Ra. That's what that statue means. And so, for the people in Egypt, this is what they would believe about Pharaoh. They believe that simply Pharaoh... Uh, was uh, to be the mediator between God and humanity, that, that Pharaoh had this direct connection to Amun-Ra, and that he was responsible somehow to maintain the relationship between humanity and Amun-Ra. And so Pharaoh was extremely powerful. Um, 
if you were to go into a temple, I'll show you something else. There's um, these, the same statue, show the one with the temples. Yeah, so if you were to go to Egypt and you were to want to look at some of the temples that were there, these gods, um, there's a line of these rams lined up. And you'll see Pharaoh underneath it. It's the same uh, statue over and over again. Hundreds of these things. So many of them. And this is just halfway. You see the temple there. That's like half. But if you were to turn around and you could see the backside of that shot, you'd see so many of these statues lined up. And the reason that is, is because they wanted people, as they'd enter into the temple, they would see and be acknowledging whose presence they're about to enter, that somehow through the journey of walking down that aisle, seeing Amun-Ra, the God, the universe, and then seeing Pharaoh underneath it, the mediator, and when they got into the temple, listen to me, this is what they believed. They believed that when you enter into the temple, that's where peace was. And that was Pharaoh's job. Pharaoh's job was to simply govern the people that inside this temple is where peace is, but outside the temple is where chaos abounds. Order abounds inside the temple, but chaos goes outside. You look at creation. Write this in your notes. Write it somewhere. Follow me on this, please. Genesis chapter 1. Read Genesis chapter 1. What does God the creator in Genesis chapter 1 do? In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless. That's the word chaos. It's the Hebrew word that meant formless. There was chaos was abounding. And what did God do? He brought order to chaos. But here in Egypt, they believed that Amun-Ra, that Pharaoh was responsible ultimately to bring peace and order to society. And so this is what's at play in the land of Egypt. You say, why is this important to know? What's important to know is this. This is where the Israelites were living. This is really important to understand as the backdrop to Exodus. All right, so Genesis 47, verse 27, look what it says. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen, and they acquired property there, fruitful and increased greatly in number. Now this is a a powerful thought. I wanted to show you something. So here you have the Israelites living in this land of Egypt. And for most people, when you think of Egypt, what do you think of? Desert. You think of like just this like just desert and sand. But I want to show you a picture of Goshen and the farmland of Goshen of where the Israelites were living. We'll put it up on the screen. Now, forgive me. This is a Getty image. I already know my wife. She's like, that's Getty image. It's like, no, you can't remove it. So, but it was a good shot. So I want you to see this. If you notice the farmland, and the TV it's kind of hard to make out, but on the bigger screen, you can notice it pretty well. This is the farmland which the shepherds, the Israelites, were shepherding. Now listen to me. If you were a shepherd of this day, and your job was to cultivate crops and land and all these wonderful types of foods, this is a great piece of property, But if you look just beyond a particular line, this is no joke, this is really how it is, there is a definitive line, and on the other side of that line is desert, and it's nothing. And this is where the Israelites are living. A lot of people think that, you know, they're in slavery. No, not true. Not not in slavery for uh, the first years they were there. That's not true at all. They were living in luscious, great opportunity land. This is where the Israelites are living. And so in fact, this is true too, they're flourishing, the Israelites are thriving, they're increasing greatly, 
And Pharaoh is a great man to work for. In fact, Pharaoh in Egypt, they came up with the eight-hour workday. Thank you, Pharaoh. All right. Eight hours a day, and then they would work about 10-day work weeks. And in some cases, the Pharaoh would give three days off, longer weekends, and then they'd go back to work. Would, would entrust with them, give them housing, give them food, pay them well. I mean, life was good in Egypt. Have you ever heard of that before? If you read through the Exodus already, you're knowing, well, gosh, that makes sense because the Exodus, the Israelites are going to talk about that. That's where it comes from. Because if you're living in this land, things are great. Financials coming in. Everything's great. Why don't you take us back there? We'll find out the Israelites will say later on. But then we read something happens in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Something changes and you can't miss it. And it starts with the word then. Now watch this. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. But then something happened. A new king. That's a new pharaoh, right? To whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Genesis 47, you see the connection of Joseph to, the, to, to Egypt and how he worked alongside Egypt and Pharaoh. But then generations come later, and the new Pharaoh doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't have any connection to what Joseph did for Egypt and that relationship establishment. And so this new king comes into play, and he begins to enslave the Hebrews. This is where things begin to change for the Hebrew people. And this is where you've read about them becoming slaves. So let me show you a couple of things. This is so important for us to understand. This new Pharaoh takes in but let me show you why this matters so much, all right? So we're going to read a couple verses, Exodus 12, 12, then we're going to go to Deuteronomy, 1 Corinthians 10. So here we go. And I'll unpack this. Just follow me for a second. Three verses I need to show you. Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, this is the Passover, I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment, and I want you to circle this or highlight this, on all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. The judgment I want you to see is on the gods of Egypt. Okay, now just pause on that for just a second. Here you have the Hebrew people living in this great piece of property, and everything is going well. But God is the God of order, the one true God. Right, And he is there, and he is watching this all play out. Here you have the people in Egypt in culture worshiping this Pharaoh, this Amun-Ra, that he's the creator of all things. And the Hebrews who are living in Egyptian culture are beginning to buy into these things. Now, I'll show you the verse of this, but let's look at Deuteronomy real quick, because this is important to understand. Deuteronomy 32. It says, they, being the Israelites, or being the Egyptians, they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to the gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals, that your fathers did not fear. Now, Paul's going to write about this very same thing to the church in Corinth thousands of years later. Look what Paul writes. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 20. Do you have that? It says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Key understanding. The gods of Egypt were not just religious, mythical creatures, Demons use these false gods to influence culture. Here's the point. Here you have an Egyptian culture worshiping a false god. You have a Corinthian culture worshiping false gods. And Paul is suggesting, and even Deuteronomy 32 is suggesting, that behind this whole thing is demonic forces. 
It's demons at play. This is how they would to describe it. And this culture, by the way, in Corinth and in Egypt, you see similarity, is ruled by the passion for wealth. Fame, power, glory, prestige. That's what identifies success. You know any culture like that? This is where people are living. And according to Scripture, this demonic forces were behind it all. And the humans, in this case, the Hebrews, were buying into the lies that this is the way of prosperity and success. This is the point of life. More stuff. Bigger stuff. And whoever has the authority has the power and the desire and hunger for more power. This is the culture in which the people are living in. And make no mistake about it, the false gods that we're mentioning here are actually no gods at all, Scripture would say. They're not gods at all. But demons simply take advantage of man's ignorance towards self-serving worship. These are just, yes, statues. They're not gods themselves. No. But simply demonic forces watch as humans' behavior and utilize it as a tool, as an instrument to lure people away from the one true God. Demons use whatever open door is necessary to convince us that life is all about what we want. Watch this. One of the jobs of Pharaoh was to decide what is morally right and wrong. Whenever you put a human in charge of a nation, we've seen that before, to decide somehow what's morally right and wrong, you know what you have? A very immoral society. And everyone's deciding what is morally right and morally wrong. Subject really to no moral authority at all. begin to make decisions about life, that gaining more and more stuff will somehow bring more peace. Somehow more stuff will make us safer. More stuff will make us happier. Have you ever bought something you thought would make you happy? Raise your hand. Every one of you, raise your hand. This is going to make me happy. And it did, but it lasted a little while. Some of the kids, you spent hundreds of dollars on their toys for Christmas. It's already broken and it's already lost. They've already forgotten about it, right? And you say, where is that toy I bought you? Do you know how much I, I mean, Santa spent on that toy, you know? They're like, what are you talking about? I had joy for a little while, only on to go to, to, go to the next one, right? I was watching a Netflix documentary. No way am I promoting it. It's just a pretty cool one about minimalism. It's a pretty cool little Netflix documentary. And there was a statement in there, and I'm just taking it from there, that the average family in America has over 300,000 items in their house. Yeah. And I was like, no way. And then me and my wife, during Christmas break, decided to go through all of these toys and stuff. And I filled up an entire, like, van full that we went and donated of toys and just stuff. I was like, gosh, we probably do have like 300,000 items. What are we doing? 
So much stuff. It's crazy. Key truth, write this down. The aim of demonic influence and culture is to get people to believe that freedom is found in anything other than God. Now, this is all important as we think about the story of Exodus. Here's why it's important to know this. The Hebrew people were buying into the lies of the Egyptian culture. Paul explains it further. Like I said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll put it up. Verse 1, it says, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in referencing back to these people in Egypt. Watch this. For I do not want you to be ignorant, talking to the church in Corinth, of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, referring to the Hebrews in Egypt, by the way, were all under the cloud. And they all passed through the sea. So you know who he's referencing already. They were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. This is so powerful. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God was not pleased with most of them. If you say, well, how much to God is most of them? If you have to remember that these Israelites, these Jews, and we're going to talk about the story of Exodus, there's believed to be somewhere between a million to two million of these people. That's a lot of people that Moses is leading into this Exodus story. It's a large nation. Remember, they multiplied greatly. This is a lot of people. Most of them were scattered in the wilderness. And we know what scattered means, right? Dust. How many people of all of these nations made it into the promised land? According to the text, Paul writes, most of them didn't make it. And also according to the same scripture text, two did. So when it comes to God, he says most of them didn't. He's referencing all but Joshua and Caleb. That'll make you rethink about how many people are really following Christ today in our culture. Most of them didn't make it. 998,998. But two did. It's powerful. You think about how many people are being influenced by demonic influence and culture and bound. I'm not talking about salvation, but I am talking about who entered the promised land. Most didn't make it. Most was all but two out of a million plus. So question, how do you get a nation? How do you get a nation? Wrap your head around this. How do you get a nation of people? Eyes off all the false gods. How do you take their eyes off the one they believe provided the sun, the moon, and the rain, fertility, protection, and ultimately their eyes off Pharaoh and onto the one true God. How do you show someone that peace is not found in anything other than God? If you would for a second, go back to the map that shows the land uh, with, uh, go back to the, where there's the, the farmland with the mountains. 
I want to suggest to you something, and this is not just an opinion. This is biblically, scripturally sound and true. They're living in Goshen, beautiful property, where they look around and they say, look at the eyes of Pharaoh. Look at this God, Amen-Ra, and they begin to buy into the lies that Pharaoh is the mediator. And you have these Hebrew people adopting, obviously, according to Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 10, that they're adopting these belief systems. That this is what prosperity, this is what life is like, this is what will bring success and peace and hope. The more money I make, then I'll be more at peace. If I just had this, then I'll have that. If I just had a bigger this, then I'll have that. And they begin to believe and buy into the lies of the Egyptian culture, to which God, the one true God, loves his people so much and says, no. None of that will bring you hope and peace. No. And in order to teach you that, here's what I have to do. I have to remove you from the things that you have bought into. And so God decides that he's going to do something. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you take that from a culture? Here's what you do. You simply remove the very thing that is misleading them. So God allows a new king to rise up who didn't know Joseph. Verse eight, right? He allows this new Pharaoh to rise up who would inflict great pain upon the nation and ultimately lead them to do this. Remember the new king that rises up? And we know if you go back and you continue to read through Genesis chapter one, two, listen, you're gonna see some great pain in fact, one of the things that this new Pharaoh not only just enslaved them with labor hours to the point of death and starvation, but in one case, he has all these children slaughtered. And he tells all the moms, just imagine moms, just imagine dads, having to take your newborn child or your one-year-old child or younger and then dropping them into a river as the next crocodile comes up and snags it. Imagine the crying and the weeping and the hurting and the pain that the Hebrew people are experiencing in this very moment. I'm not saying God caused it, but he seemed to certainly allow it to happen. Why? Because demonic forces were at play behind it all. Remember, God was not attacking the Egyptians. It says he declared war on who? The gods of Egypt. Who's at play behind the gods? According to Paul's writing in Deuteronomy 32, demons. I'm declaring war upon evil forces of hell, and I'm going to set my people free. In order to do so, I've got to remove them from great land and send them into a desert where they have no one to depend on but me. Then they will learn who the one true God is. Because that is where they're going to find their freedom. They will find their freedom in desperate destinations. Recently, I mentioned the guy named DeMar Hamlin. How many of you guys have heard about that story, right? The Buffalo Bills player. I've been a sports fan whole life. Love sports, all of that. Getting, you know, football, all, all the stuff. Every sport, love it. ESPN. Uh, I've watched it since I was a kid. Used to cut out Sports Illustrated stuff, put it on my binder at school, like sports, sports, sports. 
I've watched sports a long time. I'm sure some of you have too. In all of my living, 43, I've never seen what I saw last night. I've never seen a crowd of people come together before a game, kneel down in the center of the field like that, broadcast on live TV in prayer for a person. We've heard of moments of silences and silence, moments of silence, right? But I've never seen that. I've seen prayer happen after games or maybe during injuries, but not like that. I've been watching ESPN. I'm sure many of you have all week long. You see it in different things. I have not heard God and prayer mentioned more than I have over the past few weeks. God will allow desperate destinations in order to make you realize who he is. And so he's going to take a Hebrew people and he's going to send them out into a desert to discover their freedom. Just don't miss this on who God is. God is not afraid to allow pain or circumstances to come your way in order to help you just learn who he is behind it all. And look what ultimately these people do as a resort of the, of the result of the pain that's inflicted on them. Look what it says. Deuteronomy or Exodus 2, verse 23. During the long period, now they're in slavery. Pain has come their way. They've lost everything. No more great land. They're now in slavery. All the old days are gone. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. Now many people believe, people believe, or you might have been said, that they cried out to God. That is not true. Look what the text says. Look at it. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Let me suggest this and help you understand this. When they cried for help, wasn't to God, it was to no God at all. The text says they cried for help. And because of who God is, listened, even though they cried to no God at all. These are people who are inflicting in great pain, and they cry out for help. Someone, anyone, help! And God shows up in his mercy and in his grace to set this nation free. Freedom begins with an honest admittance to God, I need your help. I love this about God, and this is all about God revealing who he is. God in his mercy and in his grace will show up to reveal himself, and we'll find out in the story of Exodus. Now, this is powerful, so powerful. I want to invite the, the band forward. You can come forward in just a minute. Go ahead and come if you're part of the band. I want you to just track with me on this. This is so powerful to see, and you're going to see this as we unpack, we go through the story of Exodus. Like I told you, I don't know how many weeks we're going to be in this series. It's probably going to take a while, but I just I trust that God's going to take us on a journey with his Israelites. God shows up and he hears the cry of the Hebrews and he shows up and we're going to see him respond. Here's what's important to just take note in your mind for this. We're also going to know that he's not there just to reveal himself to the Hebrews. Remember, he doesn't declare war on the Egyptians. He declares war on the demonic forces behind the Egyptians. And so he's got only revealing himself to the Hebrews but who is he? This is so 
Who is he also revealing himself to? Egyptians. People who are worshiping false gods, operating demonic influence. And God, in his mercy, is also going to reveal himself to them. No! You have your eyes on the wrong God. It's not Amun-Ra. It's certainly not Pharaoh. He's not the mediator. I am God. So, we'll read about these next week, probably, is when we're going to pack it, the plagues. Actually, I'll say it to you now. I'll just help you understand it now. Did you know that the ten plagues that God puts into the story of Exodus weren't just ten random plagues? Did you know that every plague was an attack on the God behind that particular issue? He attacks all of the gods that they were serving. The God of the sun, the God of fertility. If you want to attack the God of fertility, how do you do that? You think he's the God of fertility? You think that's what's going to bring you? No, no, no. I'll show it to you. I'll take every child from you. Now, go cry to your God and see if he helps you. He can't save you. Only I can save you. Take your eyes off the wrong God. And then he shows up in his richness, in his mercy, and in his grace. Because ultimately, he wants their souls to be free. And he'll allow whatever circumstance to come their way. Help their souls come to know who he is. Both the Egyptians and the Hebrews. Both the Gentile and the Jews. And one day show up and say, I am the mediator. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, and I come to mediate and bring access to the Father and bring true peace. It's powerful. You sit back and you look at the story and journey of freedom. And God shows up and he does this. And God, who's rich in mercy, doesn't stop there. He leads them out of slavery eventually. Of course, we'll find out into freedom. And God eventually sends a deliverer we know named Moses. He's going to elect to choose to lead them into freedom. And then thousands of years later, of course, him and himself, son, Jesus Christ, comes, leads men and women to freedom so they can obtain life and peace and to the fullest. It's a powerful, powerful story. Um, I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to just stay seated for a minute as we sing a song. And here's why I asked the band to sing this now. And uh, we create time on the back end of this uh, service. Here's how this transpired. A couple of weeks ago, Andrew sent me a song, texted me a song. We'll do that from time to time as a staff. And listened to the song. I thought, that's a powerful song. It's a great song. Maybe we should do it. And uh, so today, even this morning, you know, kind of rehearsing the message in my heart, kind of listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to share. And I'm listening to the song that I knew we were singing today. And I just felt the Holy Spirit said, wait for the song. We need to hear the word before they hear this song. And so uh, I've given you the word, this this idea about freedom, where these Israelites were. And I asked the band if they would just sing the song, let you listen to it for a minute. And then after you listen to it, I'll come back and and I'll close this out. Can I leave this here? Is that okay? In your way? All right. So we'll we'll do that. So just listen to the song. I invite you to engage in it. And I'll come back up and close this out.
says the authorities and powers of darkness the things that have misled people for far too long that Jesus would go to cross disarm the authorities and powers and rulers 